0: Uh, with that, I want to invite uh, Brian Peroni, our executive director. He is bringing the word of God to us today. Big round of applause for Brian. Good morning, everyone. So I have some bad news. <laughs> Got to start with bad news, I'm sorry. It'll get better. Uh, the bad news is summer is over. I, I know, and and. Tr- Technically, summer doesn't end until September, but doesn't it feel like summer's over? Like, school's started, schedules are picking up. It's just not what it was. And i got to tell you, I love summer. I love the longer days, the warmer days, the ability to go for a walk after dinner. Lights, light, It's still light out. I love that the schedule's just a little, a little slower. And a couple things recently happened to me that, that really marked the end of the summer. So the first is, uh, we take a trip to Southern California to visit my parents every year. And when we go down there, I love the ocean. I love the beach. So I make a beeline for the beach. I love the feel of sand between my toes. And so the last day, I'm walking along the beach, so awesome, and then I'm like, this is the last time I'm gonna do this this summer. I felt really sad. So that was a little sad, but a bigger sad thing happened the next week when we dropped my son Wesley off for his freshman year at Berkeley. That was a big, sad thing. And I just want to say, go Bears. (laughs) And so that's a little weird to say since I went to Stanford and I was trained, some might say brainwashed, to hate the Golden Bear. But I've decided my heart is big enough. My heart is big enough for the Cardinal and the Golden Bear. So go Bears. So this is the first week of school at Cal. And on Thursday, they have what they call Calpalooza, which is all the student clubs come out. There's over 1,000 different student clubs you can get involved in, a 1,000. So many good things to do, a few of them questionable, but so many good <laughs> things to be involved in during your time there. And fall feels a little bit like that to me. Like There's so much in front of us, so many great things we could do, a few of them questionable. But how are we going to choose between all these things? And as I think about fall, I think a little bit about Wesley's journey of we're saying goodbye, something's uh, coming to an end, his time at home, but there's incredible possibilities in front of him and a lot of new things. And I think that's true for us as a church community as well. So with summer coming to an end, it's also the end of our summer series, Deep Dive, taking a close look and rediscovering remarkable people of the Old Testament i so enjoyed hearing more of these stories, often people with little power um, shaping the biblical narrative and shaping the course of history. So this morning, we're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 5, and we're going to meet a couple of people in this that I want uh, you to be on the lookout for. We're going to meet a young girl, and that's all we know about her. She's a young girl. We don't know her name, but she's an Israelite, and she's been taken in a raid from her home She's living in another space, another country. She's a foreigner, a prisoner of war. She's serving as a servant. Her life has experienced this big disruption, disorientation, confusion. She's off balance. She's in a new place. We meet another person, Naaman. He's a great warrior. He leads his people in war and victory. He has a big household. He's very successful. And so the story is how the two of them interact. And how God's at work, seeing needs, moving in people, hearing people. So, that's the context. Be on the lookout for these two people. It's a little bit of a long passage, so hang with me as we make our way through it. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram said. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to, to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a fight with me? When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, Would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleaned? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. The name and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So we meet this young girl very early on. Like I say, she's a prisoner of war. She's living outside of where she's been taken from her homeland. She's been taken from everything that's familiar to her. She's working as a servant. It's hard to imagine someone with less power than her. A young girl in a patriarchal society, working as a servant, taken out of the place that she's familiar with. And yet, she's the hero of the story. She's the hero of the story. She responds with a few things. I want to focus on three of them this morning. She responds, sorry. She responds with a few things. So, first of all, she responds with compassion. I think if I were in this situation, I'd feel a little bit like, hey man, you took me out of my homeland. You made me serve in your house. I don't have a lot of love for you right now. I'm not that into this. This is like, I'm kind of angry. I'm I'm off balance, I'm disoriented, I'm in a new place. But she has compassion. That's primarily what she responds with, is compassion for his leprosy. She sees that he has a need for God. As a side note, biblical scholars think this leprosy was less intense than what we see elsewhere in the Bible. He was still able to be a commander, still able to lead his household. But nonetheless, it was a big skin disease, and she responds with compassion. The second thing she responds with is courage. It would have been easy. I think I would have been tempted to stand back. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm kind of out of, my, I'm out of what's familiar to me. I don't have much power here. I'm just going to hang back. But she responds and says something. She has courage in this situation. Imagine what would have happened if she was wrong. If Naaman hadn't been healed, the consequences for her would have been catastrophic. So she responds with courage. But the foundation of her compassion and her courage is her faith. Her faith that her God can heal Naaman. That her God is at work. That what Naaman needs is he needs to know her God. He needs to be touched by her God. That's the foundation of her faith. See, her life has been turned upside down. And I think... If I were in her shoes, I would feel pretty confused, pretty disoriented, off-balance, just a little like, what's going on? But her faith stands firm. Her faith isn't bruised and battered. Her faith is strong. So I want to tell you a story about a time that I had a disorienting, off-balance, confusing situation. Um, and spoiler alert: I did not respond as well as she did, uh, so I'll just give away the ending be- before that. Um, but after I graduated, I'd had me and a number of friends had had a really great experience in college uh, in a ministry there. We had all gotten W-2 jobs. We were stuck in cubicles working for the you know corporate America in Silicon Valley, and kind of thinking, what are we going to do? And we also meeting people at our apartment complexes, at our workplace. And we wanted to have a place to invite them, a church to invite them to, but we hadn't quite found that place yet. And so we thought, we have an idea. Let's start a church. Let's, let's start a church that will be more relevant to uh, the folks that we know, be more accessible, that we want to invite people to. So we had this idea. We, we planned. We prayed. We prayed some pretty good prayers. I'd say 10 out of 10, like really good <laughs> prayers. Like why wouldn't God want this to happen, right? So we had all these plans, and with some mix of, like, faith, youthful energy, some hubris spiced in, we, we were going to start this. But then our dream got crushed, like crushed into little itty-bitty pieces, just, like, scattered all over. So we had bound arms with some people, and we were going to do this together. We're in this together. We're gonna start this church. And then the person that was going to lead it got really sick and had to go on disability. So that was kind of a bummer. And, you know, deflating and discouraging. But then what really kicked me off balance, what disoriented me, caused me to kind of reel back, was another uh, couple that we had locked arms with. I had first met him when he was a minister. uh, And he was a mentor to me and then became a friend. And he was someone we were excited to do this together. And he and his wife had become like family to my wife and I. We went on vacations together. They lived with us for a while when they first moved into uh, the area. Uh, We were in each other's weddings like family. So one Christmas, they went off to visit relatives. And we start to get word back that he's been lying about a lot of things and deceiving a lot of people. And he's hid a lot of his life from us. And we're like, whoa, this is what do we do with this? And then a couple days later, we get word that they're getting separated and planning to get divorced. And a couple days later, we get, I get an email from him that says, you're going to hear terrible things about me. Most of them are true. I'm going to do you a favor and remove myself from your life. And I wrote him back, and I said, no, no, you know, terrible things. We can talk about that, but don't remove yourself. And I never heard from him after that. So I remember uh, my wife, Loris, and I sitting in our backyard, going, what has happened? This is so confusing, so, like, I feel so off-balance, so, like, what do we do? So, why am I telling you this very sad story? <laughs> uh, because my faith was bruised and battered coming out of this experience. I realized that I started to see less of God at work or expect less from God. The excitement I had of God at work and my coworkers, God at work and my neighbor's The things that God could do in our community, in our city, was all smaller after that. It was like my faith kind of shrank after this experience of a bruised and battered time. So that's why the story of this young girl so inspires me. She went through something much bigger, much, much bigger. But she retained her sense of compassion. She retained her courage, and she retained her faith. So my story is over 20 years old. happened a long time ago. Part of the reason I'm telling it is because I've noticed something similar in me and in some of the folks I talk to in our church, and to some extent in us these past few years, as there's been so many things to throw us off balance, so many things to disorient us, so many things to go like, whoa, where are we? What happened? And I think in some ways, our faith may be a little smaller as a result of all these things. We may have less eyes to see the work that God is doing around us, or less faith to believe that God is at work in our friends, in our community. I don't say this in any kind of judgy way or judgmental way. I'm I'm right there with you, if if you resonate with this. I mean, there's so much that's happened. COVID taught us to think about us, like our bubble. Are we okay? Are we healthy? Are we going to make it? Let's think about this really small thing. And then there's been so much polarization. I think this about politics. You think that about politics. I think this about human sexuality. You think that about human sexuality. Sometimes it takes a lot of faith to think, can we hang together and love each other well and be a community and point each other to the cross? That can take a lot of faith. You know, there was a mental health crisis before um, COVID. And COVID was like lighter fluid on that crisis and it spread. And I don't know anyone, I don't know anyone that doesn't have a loved one, a family member, someone they care about deeply who is dealing with a mental health challenge. And sometimes it takes a lot of faith. Like, are we going to make our way through this? Are we going to get to the other side of this? So I think it's human, it's natural to be a bit deflated. But I also know, I believe, that God has more for us. God has more for us as individuals. God has more for us as a church community. God is at work around us. And he wants us, he's challenging us, to increasingly see the ways that he is at work around us. I believe that this fall is an opportunity for us to have greater faith, greater faith as a church community, that God sees the people that we love, that God knows, that God hears, that God heals, that God is at work. So the first thing I'd hope we take from this story this morning is I wonder if this young girl is a model for us, an inspiration for us, that she maintained her faith and compassion and courage in the midst of big disruption, of disorientation, of confusion, of being off balance. Can we learn from her to have hope and faith that our God can heal? That our God's at work. That our God is moving in our community, moving in individuals. You know, she saw a powerful and successful person, and she saw beyond that he was a powerful and successful person. She saw Naaman's need. She didn't focus just on, ah, oh, he looks like he has it together. You know, Naaman reminds me of a lot of people I meet in Silicon Valley. We hear that he was a great man, highly regarded, led people to victories, a valiant soldier. I imagine his social media feed was pretty cool, right? Like, here I am with my horses and chariots. Here I am in front of my house with my servants. Here I am leading my people to battle. Here I am getting an award from the king. A lot of his life was Instagram-ready. But there was something with his power, his wealth, his esteem that he couldn't find healing for. There was a way that he was at the end of his rope. And this young girl saw that. She had faith to see that her God could meet Naaman. Despite her position and his position, the differences in power, her God could heal Naaman. So the second thing I'd hope we take from this story the first thing is that the wanting to nurture that f- faith and courage and compassion. The second thing is that we would see the Naamans around us. My prayer is that I and we would see and recognize the places where our friends and neighbors are in need of God's healing touch, of God's healing power, and that God is at work there. See, Naaman, Naaman's interesting to me because he, he has a level of faith too he responds. Like on one level, there's a young servant girl coming to him saying, hey, I know how you can get healed. And it would be easy to blow that off. Maybe he's desperate, maybe he's at the end of his rope. For whatever reason, he's willing to take that step. And he goes on a journey. It's quite a journey. It requires some interventions along the way. It's not a straight line. People have to intervene and help him out to get over the finish line and get healed. But this all started with the faith of the little girl. But then he took a step. He started a journey. So it's interesting. He starts this journey, and, you know, the, the message comes from a servant girl, someone with no power, but he kind of takes it, and he, he, he makes it into his way. He's like, okay, I'm going to take, I'm going to get a bunch of money, I'm going to go straight to the king, I'm going to get a letter, and I'm going to go to the other king. He kind of responds in the way that he's used to operating with money and power. So he comes to the king, he goes straight to the top. I think I would do the same if I was sick. I'm going to get the best insurance, I'm going to go to the top doctor at Stanford, and I'm going to get the (laughs) best care. (laughs) But this doesn't work out for him. Because he goes to the king, the king rips up his clothes, he's upset, he thinks there's a fight starting. You know, it's interesting, the king of Israel, the leader of the people, doesn't have eyes to see God at work, doesn't have faith that God's going to heal. He's, he's like in this political world. So someone has to step in. Elisha has to say, no, no, no. Send him over to my house. If you send him to my house, I will, I will um, show him that there's a prophet in Israel. So it sounds like things are back on track. He shows up at his house. It says he comes with horses and chariots showing up at his house. And I imagine this is kind of the modern-day equivalent of like blacked-out suburbans and Escalades, maybe a police escort, a whole entourage pulling up to this house. And I don't know what kind of coin profits made, but probably not that much. And so maybe the house is a little disappointing, but Naaman clearly has an expectation of what's going to happen. He has an expectation he's going to get a royal welcome, and he's going to get healed in a certain way. And That doesn't happen. Like, instead, a messenger comes out. And Naaman has kind of a, like, do you know who I am? You're sending a messenger out to me, and you want me to do this thing in your dirty rivers? Like, I'm not up for that. That doesn't sound like a plan. He has a very specific picture of how God will heal him. He says, surely the man of God will come over and raise his hand and say something, and I will be healed. I think we often have that picture of how God will work in our life, how God will work in our friends' and neighbors' community members' lives. And then God works in a different way. This, it was a very humble way. And see, Naaman was so close. He had the answer. It's like the answer's before him. Get healed. This is all you have to do. But the, the text tells us that he went away in a rage. He went off. He was mad. Because God didn't meet the expectation of how he thought God would meet him, of how God would heal him. So he almost lost out on being healed. He almost lost the opportunity. But thankfully, his servants came up to him and said, "Uh, if he said do something really hard, you would have done it. He said do something easy, so why don't you do the easy thing? And he did it, and ultimately he was healed. He had skin clean like that of a young boy. And then Naaman makes this faith proclamation. There is no God in all the world except in Israel. There is no God in all the world except in Israel. So in addition to the end of summer, the start of the school year, it's also the start of our ministry year. And as we start our ministry year, I'd hope there's a couple things we take away from this uh, passage this morning. Number one, that we need to nurture a faith like this young girl. That we need to have a sense of compassion and courage and faith like this young girl. The second thing I'd hope we take away is that we would would open our eyes and look for ways that look for Naaman's around us. People that God is drawing to himself. People that God is at work in. Have faith that God is working. He sees the needs. He wants to meet people. So maybe you're convinced. Maybe you think, yeah, I'm with you. But now what? My face is a little bruised and battered. Remember all those things you talked about? I feel some of those. Like, what do I do? And I'd say start with prayer. Prayer with your small group with someone you came with today, with people you know. Come to the prayer wall, and someone would love to to, um, engage with you. Sometimes it's helpful to have a specific prayer to pray, and this one's been meaningful to me. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. This is from the Gospel of Mark, and in, in the Gospel there's a young boy who's very sick, and a dad has brought him in for prayer uh, to be prayed for. But he's still very sick. And finally, the dad makes his way to Jesus. And he says, if you can heal my boy, have mercy on us and heal him. If you can heal my boy, just have mercy on us, heal him. And Jesus says, if? If? Don't you have faith? And the man says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I used to be very judgy towards this guy. I thought, come on, man. You're in front of Jesus. He's just asking you to have some faith. And then your son will be healed. But experiencing life, being a little bruised and battered along the way, this prayer is very meaningful to me. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe that God is at work that he's seeking after, that he hears, he knows the needs of the people around me, the people I love. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I believe that our church is poised to engage our friends, our community, to help shape our city, that God is at work in all these places. I do believe that. Help me overcome the places where I don't believe. So, as I wrap up uh, the message this morning, uh, some things to consider. Is there a Naaman in your life? Someone who may need to hear of God's mercy, God's love, his healing, someone that God is at work in already? If so, what are we needing from God? Do we need compassion? Maybe that person's bugged us. Maybe they're an annoying colleague or a nosy neighbor or someone that's just kind of like, eh, I don't like that person. Do we need to have a compassion and love towards that person? Or maybe we have compassion and we love this person, but it's hard to have faith that God is at work. It's hard to really see God's work there because it's been a long time and, and it doesn't feel like there's been much movement. Do we need to have faith and ask God for Faith. Or do we have love and compassion, and we have faith, but we just lack courage? It's hard to speak up, to say something. We don't want to look like a fool, or or risk a relationship, or say something that might be interpreted the wrong way. Do we need this young girl's courage to step up? Let's use, uh, not use, but let's have this young servant girl as a model in thinking about the Naamans in our own life. So there's a lot in front of us this fall. It's kind of like Calpalooza. Thousands of different opportunities. Lots of great things we could do, some of them questionable, but lots of great things we could do. What if this fall, coming back from the summer, what if we grew in our compassion, our courage, and our faith? What if we all engaged our community with this girl's faith? I believe it would shape our year differently shape us as a people. I believe it would grow us as a church. I'm going to invite the band to come forward. They're going to lead us in some reflection and reflective worship and prayer. You know, I told my story of this church that I dreamed of, of planting, of starting with friends. And part of how my faith built back up was finding this church, this place, this community, that shared so many of those uh, values, so many of those dreams, so much of what it hoped for, this church was already here and did those things. It's part of our history, how we were started. Let's lean into that, that DNA and that history as we start the fall together. So I'm going to pray for us briefly, um, and then the worship team will lead us. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a chance to worship together. And God, we pray uh, that you would give us greater compassion, greater courage, greater faith, and that you would open our eyes to the ways that you are working around us, how you are seeking to heal, and you are already moving in our midst. And God, we invite your Holy Spirit to be here with us this morning, to lead us, to minister to us, to speak to us.